We're up to part three in our four-part series of um, one anothering from Romans. And today I want to cover two aspects. Um, I want to look at uh, not judging one another and also building up one another. And as a result of that, we have two Bible readings. So we'll read the first one first, which is Romans chapter 2, 1 to 4. Romans chapter 2, 1 to 4. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or... Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's patience is intended to lead you to repentance? Um, quite an interesting passage, um, but we'll, we'll get into that shortly. Now the second reading is Romans 15 and also 1 to 4. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So there you are. That gives also a bit of an insight into the writings of the Old Testament that can bring us encouragement and hope. I want to read out the Lord's Prayer to you today, but I don't want you to read with me or speak with me. I just want you to listen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. <clears throat> and um, uh, trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Now, I've found a little poem that is written about the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot, say, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother or sister. <laughs> for those for others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end it does not once say me so i thought that was interesting and brings an interesting perspective that christianity is not so much about us it's not so much about me seeking the blessing or such things, but for other people. And the gospel message is for other people, and even once we receive salvation ourselves, then I guess once we get a handle on that and on our relationship with God, it's up to us to share that message with others. Far better to give than to receive. So I want to begin by talking about judging one another. God knows the difference between right and wrong better than we do. In verse 1, Paul makes the valid point. This is verse 1 of chapter 2. In verse 1, Paul makes the valid point. Those who sit in judgment of others are guilty of doing the same thing. So we're not really designed or not even meant to judge other people. Sometimes we see things happen um, and we make opinions, but those opinions um, should be based on fact rather than making a judgment on a person without having all the facts Together, Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So, in judging others, we bring condemnation upon ourselves. We who sit in judgment of others really have no excuse left because we ourselves are not yet perfect and will never be until we leave the planet. The judgment seat of God is inescapable on those who condemn others for the very sins that they practice themselves. And our capacity to judge others is not, uh, sorry, our capacity to judge others does not absolve us from guilt. In fact, it increases our own condemnation. So the judgment of God is inescapable unless, unless we repent and are forgiven. 
Now, I want to talk about this word repent for a little while. The word repent is a verb. And I remember in primary school that a verb is a doing word. (laughs) And that means it's a, a word that requires an action. So to repent is an action. Um, The word repent means... (coughs) I've got a whole bunch of stuff written down here. To feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. I've heard preachers say to repent means to be sorry, but I think it means more than to be sorry. I think it goes deeper than that. Some of the synonyms for the word repent is like to feel remorse or regret or to be sorry or reproach oneself, um, to be ashamed of or feel contrite about, to wish one had not done something. Repent. Um, be patient. See the error of one's ways. Be regretful. Be remorseful. Be repentant. Be conscious stricken. Be guilt ridden. All to do with the understanding of this word repent. The word repent comes from a Greek word called metanoia. And it's called for throughout the Bible as a summons to a personal, absolute and ultimate, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. It includes a sorrow and a regret, but it is more than that. In repenting, one makes a complete change of direction, as in a U-turn, a 180, away from the sin or the problem or the stumbling block towards God. We turn around and literally walk in the opposite direction. Willpower to stop and turn from sin is not enough. Willpower is not enough to turn from sin. We must have God's power to help us do that. To truly repent, God needs to change our mind and even our mindset in regards to that particular sin or error. We should hate sin like God hates sin. Do you understand that God cannot actually be in the presence of sin? That's why he had to stop walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day because sin had filled their heart. 
when we do the action of turning from sin, turning to Jesus is easy. But while there is sin lurking at the door, relationship with Jesus will be difficult because then there's always this tugging, this toing and froing. Oh, the temptation's there. Yes, no, yes, no. Yes, help me, Jesus, but this looks good. We need to get past that kind of area and say, no, and yes to Jesus. Now, this brings us to look at judgment. We learn that judgment, the judgment of God, we learn that the judgment of God is delayed, folks. Delayed. This delay is an evidence of the goodness, the forbearance and the long-suffering of God. We live in a time of grace. And that offers us the opportunity to repent. If we lived in a time of judgment, like in the times of the law and the Old Testament, then the punishment was generally dished out swiftly. There is a time of judgment to come when every person conceived... (coughs) will go before God and give an account of their lives. I guess some will be shown to the left and some will be shown to the right. But as Christians, our heavenly destination is secure, but we will be held accountable in regards to our obedience to God and the things that he's asked us to do, how well we've done them, the attitude we've had and whether we've said yes or no or I don't really care, I just want to go to church every Sunday. His goodness means that he is kindly disposed to sinners, though not to do their sins, But God is disposed to sinners in respect that he wants them to repent and come to him. His forbearance describes his holding back the punishment on man's wickedness and rebellion, even to the point of allowing his own son, which we celebrate today, to take our punishment, our well-deserved punishment upon himself. And his long-suffering is amazing self-restraint in spite of man's ceaseless provocation. Look at the world, folks. It really is going down the gurgler, isn't it? And yet we say the rapture could be this afternoon or next week or before Christmas, things look so bad. But then we have a long-suffering God. 
giving everybody every chance and opportunity to come to him. Listening this morning to a preacher recommending to, recommended to me on YouTube, and I can't even remember his name, but he's a guy from California, and he reckons the fastest nation in the world where Christianity is growing is China. I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Wow. I don't know whether it's correct or not, but that's what he reckons. Well, there you go. Two out of two. (laughs) Believers are called not to judge one another. But we should be building up one another. And now I want to switch to the second passage that we talked about. The Christian approach is this. Do not live to please yourself. Okay? Live to, pre- to please your neighbour. Live to please somebody else. The example that Christ gave us is that he lived not to please himself, but in fact, the secret to his ministry was that he lived to please the Father. That should also be our quest, to live to please the Father. Have you been in the situation where God places a thought in your mind to, say, speak to this person or have a prayer with this person, and then you have the great mind debate, yes, no, oh, it could be awkward, What if it doesn't work? I'll feel stupid. But this is when God is calling you live to please the Father. He is not designed to let you down. It is his desire to see that word spoken forth. It's more than likely a seed planter, you know? We should do that, even if we feel a bit silly or a bit strange. This means that Jesus was so completely taken up with God's honour that when men insulted God... Jesus took it as a personal insult to himself. I also feel that when I hear people blaspheme the name of Jesus, it hurts me. It hurts me. And I've got a couple of stories where I've challenged said blasphemers And the results were very interesting indeed. And um, I worked, as many of you know, with a gang of railway men building and repairing train tracks. 
They were tough, hard-living, hard-swearing men. And the blasphemies were free and often. And I just hated it more and more. And it was building up in me, you know. And there's one particular guy there. He was bad and he knew I didn't like it. And so he did it all the more just to knock me. And that made me even more angry. Righteous anger, of course. <laughs> so this day I asked him to stop. And he gave me a mouthful of the worst words you could ever dream of. And I said to him, I pointed at him, and I said, God will silence you today. He goes, what does that mean? I said, you'll find out. We got out of the truck and we started working and we'd only been going about five minutes and he began to double up with stomach pain. Oh! And he had these cramps that were extreme. I reckon worse than labour, but I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> but he couldn't work. And so the leading hand said, look, get back in the truck. He says, get in the truck. He said, I need to go home. I need to see a doctor. But we were working far from home that day and we couldn't afford to run him in back to town. Morning tea time came and he was curled up in the floor of the truck in the fetal position. We went back to work. Lunch time came, he was still there moaning and groaning. And um, we finished the job about three o'clock. He was still laying there. Oh! Anyway, we packed up the tools and headed back home. And about five minutes from home, he came good. He was fine, right as rain. And I said to him, see, you were silenced by God. I said, let that be a lesson to you and let it be a lesson to all of you. Don't mess with God. His power is greater. Well, there was silence. <laughs> the evidence was overwhelming. It was a pretty interesting day. It did slow them up for about a month or so, but they soon reverted back to their old ways. But the point I'm trying to make is that when people dishonour God, Jesus felt that, and we feel that too. A Christian should not be self-centred but should be concerned really about the spiritual welfare of others. But just pleasing others is not the end in itself. It is for their good to build people up or unto edification 
And this is the example that Christ left. Even he did not please himself, but he came to do the will of the Father. I love that. He came to do the will of the Father who actually sent him. He was sent. And so are we folks sent into this world. And I've done this survey before. But if we had a, a, a show of hands from all the people, let me just ask one thing. Raise your hands if you were born and bred in Maryborough. Not one person. We have all been sent to Maryborough by God. Is this not our mission field? Paul stated a significant principle concerning the purpose and ministry of scriptures. He said everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or for our instruction. When you receive teaching, you've been instructed. Yes. The scriptures serve to give believers endurance and steadfastness in the face of adversities. Becoming a, becoming a Christian does not mean that everything will be rosy. Okay, because even roses have thorns. Look good, smell nice, but be careful. It's the same in the Christian life. We look good, we can smell nice, have a, the aroma of Christ, but we also must be careful. Especially the world has those thorns. As Christians learn from the past, as in what is written from the Old Testament about others who did not please themselves, then we are motivated to endure and to be comforted in the present, looking ahead in hope and confidence to the future. So here we have the past, the present and the future. We receive instruction from the past, from the scriptures, that helps us to live in the present and helps us to plan and to vision for the future. So part of our call is to build one another up. This means giving encouragement and being concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. That's why Helen calls ladies out every Sunday and prays for them because she's concerned about the spiritual welfare for the church ladies. And I think it's a great thing. It's great to receive prayer. Remember the poem about the Lord's Prayer? The judgment of God is inescapable on those who condemn others for the very sins that they practice themselves. 
The example that Christ gave us is that when he was ministering on the planet, he lived to please the Father. That is also our objective, our mission. Let me wrap it up. As Christians, we must look at the world through Christ's eyes, but not through our own. See the world as Christ would see the world. You need to understand the Bible and understand scriptures to be able to do that. And when you at least read the Gospels and understand the perspective that Christ is coming from and adopt that perspective to your own life. In other words, read the scriptures and give the application to your own life. Instead of judging others, which ultimately pulls them and us down, we should look to building up people through encouragement and looking out for their spiritual well-being. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the book of Romans, such an instructional book that certainly gives us more than hope, but obeyed instruction will relate to an awesome life in Christ. I pray, Lord, we can receive this instruction and even other instructions in Scripture that we may build upon what we have already received and build and build and build that we are in fact stones in the wall of the temple as Christ himself is the chief cornerstone and we are bricks and we are made up and we are part of that building of the body of Christ God's kingdom here on the planet I pray and ask Lord that this message will resonate in our hearts Lord as we give it application as we consider the way we may or may not judge people as we consider about looking out for the spiritual well-being of others May you add your blessing to this message and to your word, we pray in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. Thank you, Dennis.